Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Chatter Up with your hosts, Bobby and Jared. Jared, how's it going, man? Going all right, Bobby. Another week in quarantine. Yeah, another week. But, but, we got some great stuff for the listeners this week. I'm very excited about it. We have another What Did I Miss segment. We'll take a look at the final matchups of our second round of the Bracket of Shame. My four seed, the Orioles draft history against the six seed, the Raul Ibanez game. And then your two seed, the 2011 AFC Championship against your three seed, the 2007 Mets collapse. You ready for that? What a joy that'll be. Yeah, it'll be something for sure. We also have another This Week in Sports coming up where we got a really cool debate we got going on. And then we'll end with another Could It Work? You ready for this, Jared? Let's do it. Then let's chatter up. So as it has been for the most recent several weeks, there have been, I would say, limited sports headlines, right? Fair point. But I think as things start opening up, there are more and more things that are coming around. So, Jared, tell me, what did, what did I miss this week? So we had another week of baseball players and owners fighting about bringing the sport back, which sucks for us because we're big baseball fans. But it also kind of just sucks because you, it feels like the other, both the NBA and the NHL are getting really close to coming back. You know, the NHL has their plan to, for the playoff format. Mm-hmm. The NBA is not there yet, but it feels like they're kind of on like the 10-yard line. And baseball feels like it's not even close right now to, to getting anything done. Are you starting to feel like there might actually not be baseball this year? It's weird because I'm, if I was a betting man, which I'm not, but if I was... I would bet in the season not coming back. Really? This just seems like another one of those things where they're at a stalemate. They agree to a prorated salary. Then the owners say, no, we want to give you this fraction of your salary, depending on how much you make. And the players union came back at that and balked at the idea and basically said, okay, we're going to start from scratch now. And we're going to give you something completely different. Assuming that, it's nowhere close to what the owners were offering. How long does this go before eventually they just say, okay, concede? Because they've done it before. I mean, this wouldn't be the first time that baseball either got cut short or there wasn't at least a fraction of a season because of, of money disagreements. Right. So you've actually made the switch then because when we did this like a month ago, we both were on the same page of like, there's so much money involved. They have to. They just have to do this at some point. There's no way they would. They would throw away an entire season. So you're now. You're. You've crossed the threshold into thinking, more likely than not, we don't have baseball. Yeah, I. I have to take that stance, because of what we're seeing. You know, we spoke about Blake Snell, a little bit back, and that was, I guess, the first real, audible frustration that we saw from players. Right. And now it's so many different players. I mean, Scherzer is just the, you know, one of them who came out and within frustration. And if it's this bad right now, and baseball was supposed to start back in March, how long does this go before the players' union just says, "Forget it, fine, we're not playing," and it's on the owners now? Right. There's certainly it's a it's a more limited timeline than the other sports because baseball is an outdoor sport. So I, I guess they could always do neutral sites and play baseball theoretically into January in like Arizona. I'm not sure logistically how that would work, but I'm not I haven't gotten to the point that you've gotten to yet. I'm still of the belief and it's waning every day, but I'm still of the belief that 
there's so much money involved here. Could they be that stupid to just see all, all the other sports come back, you know, see the numbers that those sports will do. And just because I get it, like there's no, like I talked about with the Blake Snell thing, it's easy for us to to say like, oh, you make all this money or, you know, you should just, just come back and play on the player side and the owner side. But, you know, there, there's that. And there's also to me, you know, you, you made the point that they've done this before. And that's that that would be the counter argument. In 1994, they did it. I'm sure there were people saying the same things. Could they be so stupid as to actually cancel the rest of the season? But they did. To me, you know, it, it took a long time for baseball to come out of that. And, and a big part of that, people always talk about it, that 98 home run chase that they're making a 30 for 30 on. But to me now, it's, it, it might even be worse for baseball because there are more options for other people to watch. People are really into Premier League soccer. And I don't think that was really mm-hmm. a thing in 19. I mean, people followed it, but I don't think like it had the American audience that it does now in 1994. There's like esports, all these these things that are that are bigger now than they were in 1994. Baseball already is probably in much of the country, the third most popular sport. Mm-hmm. So how bad is it for baseball if if, like we said, the NBA and the NHL come back and baseball cancels their whole season? It's horrendous. And it's also a black mark on Rob Manfred's tenure as commissioner of baseball. It is already, or he is already, looked at as Rocky Start, maybe not the guy that people want there. And this just makes it look that much better, which I guess then poses the question, I'll pose this to you. Who bears the most responsibility here? Because there's two sides. Is it the owners or the players? And if the season is canceled, who's going to bear the brunt of this? It feels like the fans never side with the players, right? Because the players have faces, whereas a lot of these owners, like nobody really cares about the owners. Mm -hmm. And the players are who the fans can relate to in the sense that like, We've all played baseball growing up. We all and we've all said like, oh, if I if I would I would play baseball for free, or I'd play baseball for like a, a tenth of what those guys are making. So mm-hmm. it feels like the players never win, and so if it gets canceled, I, I would guess that the fans will probably bear the brunt of it. Do I think that's fair? Probably not. I mean, the owners the owners are are the billionaires here. You know, I mean, it's billionaires versus millionaires. Mm-hmm. The owners are probably in a better position to take the loss. Uh, the, the owners really aren't taking a chance. I've heard people say like they're, they're taking a chance by opening up. Like, are they, they're, they're going to lose money no matter what. I guess it's just a question of, are they going to lose more money? Maybe. But I mean, at the end of the day, I, I'm almost certain this is going to fall on the players. Yeah. It's an absolute disaster. And to your point, I agree that if things don't work out soon, it's going to be, hey, these guys are making an absurd amount of money more than any other sport right now. I guess maybe, maybe not soccer, but you know the four major ones. And you can't figure this out for the sake of the fans who have been cooped up for months. Like that's absolutely ridiculous. But when fans don't have things to watch, they watch some pretty ridiculous things. Did yeah. you did you see the match? So I'll be honest with you, I did not watch the match. Okay. Uh, I, I wasn't going into it. I wasn't, I'm not a golf guy. Like I'm just, wasn't particularly interested to watch it, but having watched some of the clips afterwards, I thought it was pretty entertaining. And I did see that it was the highest, I think it was the highest rated golf event ever on cable, which I think says a lot. Yeah. I mean, to be clear, we're talking about the Tiger Woods, Phil Mickelson, Tom Brady, Peyton Manning golf matchup. It, it got rave reviews. Right. And also, 
above all else, I guess, which is most important, it raised a ton of money for, for charity, which is, which is great yep. and is a huge thing. But it was really entertaining. And again, like you, I didn't see all of it live, but I watched a lot of the clips and caught up on a lot of things. And it, it seemed like something that could be done again. You're right. The best part of it, the best thing that came out of it was all the money that went to, to COVID-19 relief. But I think probably 99% of the people watching it didn't tune in for that reason. So no. what, what do you think it was about it, you know, from having read about it afterwards that made people, A, tune into it, and B, talk about it the way they did afterwards? Yeah, it seemed to get such a positive review. And the thing I think it was, did you, did you watch spring training for baseball last year? Yes. So then you know that there was like a period of time where they would mic up a player. Right. And they would ask him questions and they would have a back and forth between the announcer and the player in the middle of the game. And sometimes even in the middle of a play, you'd see like a center fielder running to grab a fly ball. Right. And I think that's what was so successful about this is that they were all mic'd up and going back and forth with the announcers. I think it was Tom Brady was going back and forth with Charles Barkley and from like what was it, 150 yards out, he knocked one into the hole. And he's just like, ah, how about that, Charles? And it was just this, this back and forth that is so compelling. You know, we, we have mic'd up athletes. We've seen Patrick Mahomes hyped up and be like, yeah, come on, let's go. <laughs> but nobody really cares about that. Like, that's fun once, and then you want, you want to see something either controversial or funny or entertaining – and when you have an athlete in the middle of a game or a match or something going back and forth with the announcer, that's wildly entertaining. And you want to hear that conversation as they're doing it. Yeah, to your point, the, the mic'd up segments that they typically do now in every sport are just useless. I've, I've wondered for a long time why they still do it. Like you're saying, there's never anything interesting that comes out of it. And we know, like, you often, you know, after these guys retire, you hear about like, oh, this guy was the best trash talker. This guy was like always talking smack on the field. It's like, why can't we ever hear that? I get that, like, they want to put it on a delay and bleep words out because they're, you know, they're subject to to FCC regulations. Cool, but why why do they always have to sanitize it to the point that we never see anything interesting? Yeah, I agree. What if you put it on? What if you put it on Baker Mayfield and you put it on him for the whole game and you don't censor anything, but instead. You can watch the game on this separate link and it's rated whatever you want to rate it, TV right. 14. It doesn't really matter. And you just say, hey, you can watch the game and also listen to Baker Mayfield the entire time. That would be so cool. I would yeah. love to hear that. He's a loose cannon. He would say something ridiculous and it would be amazing. Yeah. And, and exactly what you're saying with baseball, like that's the kind of thing that I don't know why baseball, I mean, look, they did try it out, I guess, with spring training. I don't know why they aren't more forceful with the idea of trying to do it during during games that matter because you're right like that's something that i think people would be interested to see absolutely imagine imagine miking up even the first base coach who's not even playing or having a mic on first base and every time somebody gets a walk or a single is on first base you hear that conversation between the first baseman and the runner on first. Wouldn't, wouldn't you be entertained by that? Yeah, because you see it all the time. Like, you always, every time there's a guy on first base, they're always chit-chatting. And you just want to, I mean, I've thought to myself, like, what are they, what are they talking about? Like, is this, are they talking about the game? Or are they talking about the pitcher? Are they just talking about, like, their families? I don't know. May, and maybe, you know, maybe we would hear it and be like, ah, oh, it's actually not as great as we thought. But I don't, I'm not sure why they wouldn't be open, more open to trying it. 
Yeah, and if they started like both of them being like, "Oh, what an idiot this pitcher is! I hate him." He's like, "He's on your team." Yeah, but he's an idiot. Like, I would love to hear that, and maybe, maybe they don't do that for the sake of the reputation of the team and not creating discord. But man, that would be entertaining. And put it in any sport, I would love to hear that. Imagine hearing Alex Ovechkin on a mic the whole game. Like, I would love to right. hear the ridiculousness that comes out of his mouth. All right, let me put you on the spot here. If they did another version of the match, what professional athletes, not golfers, so in this one it was it was Peyton Manning and Tom Brady, who would you want to see out there doing this? I feel like this may be biased based on recent events, but also it would only make sense to do this in the more recent times, but I would love to see put Michael Jordan out there with Isaiah Thomas and have them together and then the person on the other side is like Rod Thorne, who created the, the dream team, and just interviewing them and just get it really uncomfortable. I would love the uncomfortability of that. I think that that's one of my favorite things in life is uncomfortable moments right. that I just thrive on. And I think that would be so entertaining to watch. Yeah. And I think, you know, maybe, you know, we know Jordan, if you watch The Last Dance, you know, he's, he's like a golf addict, loves to play golf. Maybe you could get him to do it. So you know, you uh, you just have to show up, and you're like, "Oh, Isaiah's here too. Why don't we? Uh, why don't we just play a foursome?" Um, yeah, I think you're right. That, I think that would be a really cool one. When I first thought of this, the one that popped into my head was like Durant Westbrook. We know that there's mm-hmm. Westbrook is just a killer. Um, he's like of anyone that reminds you of like that that Kobe mentality of like I just have to destroy everyone. It's it's Russell Westbrook. Seems like he's still not over Durant leaving the Thunder. There, there seems to be a still a dislike there that I think would be, and we know Durant is very sensitive to all this stuff. If you follow him on Twitter, you see he's always like clapping back at fans. I think that would be a fun one too. You'd be so entertaining. And aside, I'm just going to throw this one guy in there. Recently was the anniversary of the game where Lance Stevenson blew in the ear of yep. LeBron James. I would love to see Lance Stevenson against anyone out there just to see the garbage that he would say. It would be so entertaining. Right. Well, you talked about Baker Mayfield earlier. I thought about Baker Mayfield, Rex Ryan. You remember they had. That oh, yeah. Rex Ryan. Is, I mean, I have a special place in my heart for Rex Ryan for when he coached the Jets, but he's entertaining as hell. And to see him and Baker, we know like there's just no filters there. I think that'd be really cool. It'd be so cool. And the last thing we wanted to cover here, speaking of entertaining athletes, did you see that Antonio Brown is still trying to make a comeback? He worked out with Dwayne Haskins, the quarterback of the Redskins. Well, let me ask you about it because you're the Redskins fan here. So what went through your mind when you see the video of Antonio Brown and Dwayne Haskins working out together? I had a mental breakdown. <laughs> because here's, here's the truth. I don't want Antonio Brown near football at all. I think he's a bad look for football and a bad look for sports. That's one. Two... I also think this is totally something that Dan Snyder would do. It's right up his alley. Take a guy who is seemingly amazing, who was also a major issue, and throw him on in there. Now, Albert Hainsworth, who we spoke about a couple episodes ago, was a little bit different. But this seems just such a Dan Snyder move. And I can't wait for the day where I see an ESPN headline that says, Redskins sign Antonio Brown to one-year contract. And I'm like, man, I, I knew it, and it's going to ruin the team, and we're going to lose 15 games. So whether it's the Redskins or somebody else, do you think it's more probable than not that he plays in the NFL again? I have to think so. I think he at least gets one more game somewhere, some team. Maybe it's week 16, and somebody's like, 
I need, I need a promotional thing for a game and they throw Antonio Brown in there, but he is one of those guys. And I don't know another situation like it where a guy was so at the top of his game. I don't think there was much dispute that Antonio Brown was the best wide receiver in the game when he left the game. Maybe you could make the argument for DeAndre Hopkins, whatever. It's irrelevant. He was definitely at least considered top three. Yeah, for sure. And he took such a fall from grace that now people don't even want him at all. They're not, they're saying it's not worth the risk. He was on a winning team. He was with the Patriots and he played well. And then the Patriots like, "Mm, hands off. I don't think I can take this one. That's crazy. Right. So if I remember the timeline of this, right, you know, he gets traded to Oakland. He has this like weird, you know, there was that helmet thing and he just like not, he just like was a very disruptive presence in training camp. They end up, they end up uh, releasing him, I think, right? And at that point, I think everyone would have said, okay, something was off here. I guess he just didn't want to be in Oakland. I'm not sure why. But someone will definitely someone will definitely pick him up. And, like, hours later, right, you knew New England was probably going to be that team that was just, mm-hmm. like, take a flyer on him, turn him back into, like, basically what they did with Randy Moss. Then he plays one game for New England, and then you have, like, all this legal trouble. Sports Illustrated writes this story with, like, multiple allegations of, like, some sort of sexual assault. I haven't heard, like, an update on that. So that's almost, like, a year ago now because that was, like, I think last maybe September. So I wonder, you know, I, I, it's hard to answer the question, I guess, without knowing what, where that's at because if we take that out of it. You know, he's 31 years old. He hasn't played in a year. So even if we say he's, he's definitely not in that conversation anymore, but I don't think there's any question that he could still be useful to an NFL team. I think there, you know, we see it all the time with with guys. I mean, whether it was it was Greg Hardy or Kareem Hunt, we see it all the time with with guys that get in trouble. They're, the team that they're currently on has to cut them, and then some other team is like, "Well, I'm sure we could turn him around," and he's really good, so we want him. Exactly. I I, I can't believe. What if you're the Bengals? You have Joe Burrow, and somehow you're able to get out to a four and three start, or maybe you're six and five. It's late in the season. And you need an extra piece. And you think the extra piece is going to be the difference. You're telling me the Bengals aren't going to offer Antonio Brown a contract? Right. Why wouldn't you do that? Or the Chargers. You moved to L.A. You basically have no fans. You need, like, you, you don't have Phillip Rivers anymore. You need, like, a name to get people to come. Or you want to, if you just want to be talked about, you know, there's a guy you could go out and sign. I guess it would have been nice for the Raiders moving to Las Vegas. I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah, it seems unlikely. I am saying it here now. Antonio Brown will play at least one snap for the Washington Redskins this year. Bobby's hot take of the week. Just saying. So we're going to leave it there. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, we will finish up the second round of our bracket of shame. We'll be right back on Chatter Up. Hey, everybody. Are you looking for your next great show to binge? Well, let us introduce you to Deal or No Deal MLB Edition. Join host commissioner Rob Manfred as each contestant in MLBPA rep opens a series of cases with a new pay scale in each one. You'll get an inside look at the negotiations to continue playing baseball, watching Manfred beg each contestant, deal, right, right, please, you'll play now? Each episode really hits it out of the park as the banker, Baltimore Orioles owner Peter Angelos, continuously counters with a deal not even my two-year-old nephew would accept. So check out Deal or No Deal MLB Edition, found exclusively on Blake Snell's Twitch account. This round of negotiations are sure to be a huge swing and a miss. 
Welcome back, everyone. Bobby, are you ready to bring the shame? Yes. No. Yes, because I have to. No, because this is going to hurt as it does every week. Yes, it does. So we're going to continue with the second round of our bracket. Bobby, we're going to have your four seed against the six seed. So your four seed is the Orioles draft history, which advanced a few weeks ago against the number six seed, which is the Raul Ibanez game. So I guess, you know, we've heard a little bit about both these things. I guess what it's going to come down to is what's more, what hurts more, that moment of just excruciating pain from the, you know, just what, what your heart feels when the Ibanez homer goes out, or is it like the prolonged period of futility, which is the Orioles draft history? That's really what it comes down to, is a moment versus a, a longer period of time. And I don't know. Yeah, I, I've told you for the last week, every time we talked about this, I like, I don't know which one I'm going to pick. And right now, truth, I have no idea who is coming out on top here. I think I'll have to, to talk it out a, a quick bit. That's why we do this. So I'm going to start with the four seed, the Orioles draft history. And, and I want to hone in on the 2006 draft. So last time we spoke about 99 and the Orioles had seven first round draft picks. And I think you and I have spoken about this before that if you're a bad team or a team that doesn't have a ton of money, you rely on the draft, right? That's the only way to do it. There's really no other way to do it. Maybe you can sign some mid to upper tier free agent, but you're never going to be the team that signs Alex Rodriguez to a 10 year, $252 million contract. That's just not in the cards. Right. So let's go back to 2006. 2006, the orders are coming off the 2005 season, which we spoke about. Winning in June, first place, time to turn it around, and then we blow it all at the end. As much as you blow it all at the end, you're thinking as an Oriole fan, okay, there are things there that you can capitalize on. We just got to draft, get a couple more players, develop them, and maybe in a couple years, this is the year. Right. Okay. 2006 MLB draft. Number one pick went to the Kansas City Royals. They took Luke Hoshaber. Okay, I remember the name. He was, or didn't live up to be the number one pick, but he was a major league player. Contributed to that 2015 team. He did. Colorado Rockies then selected Greg Reynolds. Whatever. Then the guys that come after are Evan Longoria, Brad Lincoln, Brandon Morrow, Andrew Miller, Clayton Kershaw, and Drew Stubbs. Kershaw guy, I think I've heard of him. Most of the guys that I just listed had either average, good, or stellar MLB careers. Right. Fine. Orioles get the ninth pick in the draft. And we select at a Bishop Eustace Preparatory School, third baseman Bill Rowell. (laughs) I can say that I am not familiar with the name, and I'm sure that's not a good thing. And that's saying something because I value your baseball history and your sports history. You're usually really good with these things. And if I say the ninth overall pick for the Baltimore Orioles in 2006 and you haven't even heard of him, Bill Rowell never had a career. Bill Rowell doesn't have a Wikipedia page, which is crazy. Bill Rowell was one of those draft picks that you look back on and you say, what were we thinking? So he was number nine. Okay, number let's, ten. Hear it. let's hear the guys that came after. Number 10 that year for the San Francisco Giants 
took Tim Lincecum. Number 11 that year went to the Arizona Diamondbacks and took a moderately average pitcher named Max Scherzer. (laughs) That is tough. And you're thinking, are you, are you kidding? Like if I just stop the draft there and I'm not saying that the draft is so easy. We've spoken about this before. Sometimes it's a crapshoot. Yeah. But are you kidding? How different, and we spoke of this with Arietta. how different is this team with Max Scherzer from 2006 to now? And I guess what particularly hurts is that they're literally the next two picks because sometimes, you know, you'll see it often, like the, the guy I think of in the NBA is Giannis, who was like the 16th pick, and there, you have all these teams that were ahead of him, but, you know, it's, it's one thing if the guy was picked like 10 picks after you, like you weren't considering picking him, but when you have the you know, Lincecum and Scherzer picked literally right after. You have to think there was somebody in the Orioles draft room that was like, you know, there are these two guys that I think really have a chance to be Cy Young Award winners. Should we take them? Yeah, and Bill Rowell never even made it. He never even, like, made it to the major leagues, had, like, flamed out and was awful. He never made it. It's like, what? What are we doing? When picks 6 through 11 are Andrew Miller, Clayton Kershaw, Drew Stubbs, Bill Rowell, Tim Lincecum and Max Scherzer. What what are you doing? So let's see. You've got Kershaw and Scherzer, no question Hall of Famers. Lincecum's not going to make the Hall of Fame because he didn't do it for long enough, but had like a really nice five-year run. He had multiple Cy Youngs. Yeah, Drew Stubbs, I mean, obviously not going anywhere, but at least like had a, you know, he played, I would think he played probably like six, seven years in the majors. He did. He was a several-tool player. He was on my fantasy team, so clearly it was good enough for my fantasy team. Right, right. And so you have the one guy in that stretcher that, that literally just never even made it to the bigs. Yeah, and it's just, what? What are we doing? What are we thinking about that in the first round, this is the guy we're going to take? And then, is it then a problem with player development that we can't develop this guy? I don't know. All I know is that we can't draft for anything. And this is one of the primary reasons why we went so long to lose. And now you're in the middle of it again. Let's hope it goes differently. God, I hope it goes differently. But this is going up against the Raul Ibanez game, 2012 ALDS game three. I want to focus on a guy by the name of Jim Johnson. (laughs) Do you remember Jim Johnson? I do. Jim Johnson, closer for the Orioles, several good years, 50 save guy. But Johnson was never the lockdown guy that you wanted out of a closer. And granted, yeah. the closer role has changed over the years, so it's not the same. But back then, closers were closers. You finished the game. That was it. He felt like the guy – like, you look at his numbers at the end of the year, and you're like, wow, Jim Sonson had, like, a really good year. But, like, if you're watching it day in, day out, like, you, you probably lost years off of your life from, like, the high blood pressure. It – yes. My heart is definitely not as healthy as it was. 100%. 2012 ALDS comes around. Even before that, the wild card game against Texas, the bases were loaded at the end of the game for Texas because of Jim Johnson. I don't remember that one. Of course you don't. Nobody does because we won. Right. And everybody's like, oh, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. No, it wasn't fine. I'm freaking out over there. He winds up getting a fly ball to left field and finishes the game. 2012 ALDS game one comes. I'm there. First playoff game that I've been a part of in my lifetime. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Ninth inning, tie game, first batter, Russell Martin, home run. Blows the game, we lose. Is it completely his fault? No, we scored like one or two runs that game. Fine. Game two comes around. He's already almost lost the wild card, basically lost game one. Game two comes around. And Buck Showalter, bless his heart, throws him out there again in the ninth inning. I mean, what kind of what are you supposed to do if you're Buck, right? Like you've had this guy's been your closer all year. I, he's been like a little shaky, but like what choice do you really have? I guess, sure. And they throw him out there and he gets a shutdown inning. And they're like, okay, this is great. But he's gone back to back games at this point, plus right. the wild card game. They get a day off and they travel to New York. Don't need to rehash the game. It goes to the ninth inning. It's ninth inning and you're up by one. And this is the part where I don't know, maybe I'm overthinking it. But your closer went two consecutive days, plus the wild card game that was uh, two days before that. And he throws him out there again. He did have a day off. Mm -hmm. But he just comes in, gets the first out, and the rest is history, right? A-Rod gets pinch hit for Raul Ibanez. Was that – am I overthinking it? Was that the wrong move to throw in Jim Johnson there? Or do you have to stick with your guy? I, yeah, I think it's hard to criticize him for that. Considering you had the day off and he had a good inning the outing before, I think, yeah. like, hindsight is twenty twenty, of course. But, you know, it almost goes – it reminds me of the, the 2016 wildcard game where he got all this flack for having lost the game without having gone to his to Zach Britton, you know? So mm-hmm. are we saying if, – if Avanius hits a home run off of Darren O'Day, are we saying, like, well, why wasn't Jim Johnson in the game? He's been your closer all year. Yeah, you're right. And, and I think that's a fair point. But once again, Jim Johnson comes in, and I just see the ball sail over the right field wall. And it is uh, – I'm, like, crying about it now because how? Because we win game four. Right. And then we could have gone on to the ALCS. And I'm not saying we would have won the championship. but So the question is, which one was more shameful, more painful? And I don't know, man, because – objectively speaking, the draft is the thing that caused us to lose for a longer period of time. Did that hurt as much as the Raul Ibanez game? It's my bracket. I get to decide. (laughs) I'm putting Raul Ibanez into the semifinals. Wow. This is a true Cinderella run. A six seed has now upset the three seed and the four seed. I know that that's controversial, and I know I'm going to receive some flack for that, but that's, that's my pick, and I'm sticking with it. And I'm done talking about this because it hurts too much, and I'm pushing it on to you. Your two-seed, the 2011 AFC Championship game against your three-seed, the 2007 Mets collapse. I have my own prediction of my head where this is going, but I'm curious to see how this plays out. Yeah, I don't want to ruin the suspense on this one. Um, I'll start with the 2011 AFC Championship game. I talked about it a little bit before. If you remember that, you know, I talked about that season they had. They started off really hot. They were 9-2. and two. They go into New England that Monday night, just get destroyed. They end up finishing the season 2-3. and three. So they, they, they're 11-5 and five going into the playoffs. We had, like, all these expectations coming into the year. They had gone to the AFC Championship game the year before that when there really was no expectations. You know, rookie coach, rookie quarterback. They add to Antonio Holmes. They add Antonio Cromartie. We go in with these high expectations. And kind of at the end of the season, at really after that Pats game, it was like, okay, I mean, you know, are, are we as good as our record really says? Because we just went up against the best and we got our doors blown off. So, so we're probably not. First round, we go into Indianapolis. We beat Peyton Manning on a last-second field goal. Okay, that's, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a good win. I mean, anytime you beat Peyton Manning 
and you do it on the road, that's a good win. Absolutely. Anywhere is a big win, but on the road is even bigger. Next week, we go into New England. Again, like I talked about previously, we thought we had no chance, right? We just played them in New England pretty much like five weeks before and just gotten destroyed. So it's like, let's just let's let's hope they give us a good game. Let's hope this is somewhat competitive so that we have something to watch the next three hours. Mm-hmm. They beat New England. They go into New England and they beat them. It's like one of those things that like, I, it's one of those games that I've just watched like, like five or six times since it happened. Cause you almost don't believe it every time. You're like every time I watch it, I think like New England's going to score here and like, they're actually going to end up winning the game, you know? Absolutely. Cause you, you see those things and it's hard to believe that your team is the one that can actually pull out that victory. And you always think it's going to be a different result. Especially when it's the Jets and the Patriots, you yeah. know? So after that, it's like, okay, we now now we really have a shot here because we just beat probably the two best quarterbacks in the league on their own turf. Now we go to Pittsburgh for the championship game. Jets had played Pittsburgh earlier in the season. I think it was week 14 or 15 in Pittsburgh and beaten them. Now the Jets generally never win in Pittsburgh. They've had some real bad losses there. But having beat them already that season in Pittsburgh, only a few weeks before, you're like, okay, this is like, now we really have a chance to go to the Super Bowl here. Maybe I was wrong to think like that we weren't as good as our record said. The quick story behind this is at the time, like I said previously, I was I was in Israel in Yeshiva at the time. So up until that point of the season, every week I would go with a couple of friends. We'd go like a few blocks away. Somebody would bring their computer somewhere we could get Wi-Fi and we'd watch the games. Great. It was the 6.30 championship game, which means it was like whatever, 2.30 in the morning there. So at some point that night, I remember like the head of the yeshiva comes around to like all the different dorms and he's like not singling anyone out. But he's like, but we don't want anyone going for whatever reason. We don't want people going to watch the game this week. I know it's like what for they tell me it's a big game, but I don't want people going. And so that didn't mean anything to me. I mean, like no disrespect, but it's like, guy, the Jets are in the AFC championship game. Like, I'm not just going to skip it. Rebellious Jared. (laughs) <laughs> so I go to my friends. I'm like, okay, so what's the plan? Like, where are we meeting? When are we going? And they're like, yeah, I think like, we're not going to do it this week because like they told us not to. I was like, <laughs> um, okay. I'm going to have to make alternate arrangements then. So I take like a 10 o'clock bus to my friend's house who I spoke about last time. Wow. You know, his parents live there. I stay up all night. I'm like, I'm drinking like so much coffee, like so much of that, like uh, what, do you, what for loco, whatever, whatever, it took, <laughs> right? Just to be like, it, it was almost even to calm my blood pressure because it was like you don't really need it to get up for the AFC Championship game. And just like that Jets Pats Monday Night game, the Jets go down twenty four nothing in the first <laughs> half. It was just like, it, you know, it's one it, like the the Braves uh, Cardinals game this year in the first round where the Braves gave up 10 runs in the first inning. It's like, what's worse? Do you want to be in it until the end? Or do you want it to just end in the first inning and like, no, you're not moving on? I feel like the answer changes whatever game you're at. It was mm-hmm. it just it hurt so much to be waiting so long, for you know, from the entire day until 2.30 in the morning, the next morning for this game to start. And within 15 minutes, it's pretty much over. Jets did fight back and make a game out of it. They ended up losing 24-19. It came down to... It's close. Steelers had the, yeah, Steelers had the ball in the fourth quarter driving. Like, the Jets needed to make a stop and get the ball back to have a chance to score, and they don't do it. This It, it hurt because, like I said, we had expectations coming into that season. The year before, when we went to the championship game, and maybe you could argue that game was more painful because the Jets actually were up at halftime the previous year against the Colts. But even at that point, and maybe this is just hindsight speaking, I, you know, you, you always felt like, okay, the Colts, 
there's just there's no way we're gonna actually hold on. The Colts are just too good of a team. You know, they'd gone fifteen and one, I think, that year, maybe fourteen and two. They're just too good for us to actually overcome it. And you and you left as as disappointing as it was leaving that game. It was like, okay, we had no expectations coming into the year. Now we know we thought we had a great coach. Yeah, I say we thought. <laughs> and we thought we had a quarterback that was like on the rise, gonna take us places. And the next, you know, you go into, like I said, you go into next year with expectations and it just falls to pieces in 15 minutes. All that being said, you know, everybody heard about how upset I got talking about the 07 collapse a few weeks ago. Yo, you, yeah, you, bro- you broke down. I broke down. I broke down. The 07 collapse is the three seed. So it's, it's the, it is the underdog here. But, you know, maybe it's like, like you said, having been at the game. I think that plays a part in it. I think, you know, this goes the other way with what you just did. The 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 period, I mean, it's not as long of a period as, as the Orioles draft utility, but it was two weeks of torture. And mm-hmm. then it doesn't end after the two weeks because then you just have the offseason to think about it. So it's, you know, it's not just like two weeks of hell, Mets are eliminated. Okay, maybe we'll get them next year. It's like, I have to spend the next six months, whatever, how long the offseason is, thinking about what the hell just happened and hearing about it from Yankee fans. You and know, also, it's like, yeah, and also, like, will you get him next year? I don't know. Are you going to be in a position like that? Again, that's, that's never guaranteed. Right, you're just broken. You're just like, like I said, coming out of 06, which was as bad as it was, it was like, okay, but we're here to stay now. We're going to, we're going to be in this conversation for the next three, four years every year. Mm-hmm. After 07, after something like that happens to your team, it's like you can't take this stuff for granted. And and there's no hope going there's really no hope going into next year because if this kind of thing can happen, what am what you know, what am I to assume about what's gonna happen next year? Right. So you know what's, AFC, what's it gonna be, man? What's it gonna be? AFC championship hurt. It really did. It was you know, we haven't been back to the playoffs since then. I think that plays a part in it. But I said it after the last matchup, but the 07 team has a chance to do some real damage. They've already done a lot of damage to me personally. And that is continuing oh, because man. I have to relive it and it has to move on to the finals. It just does. It, it just was such a traumatic event that still... You know, part of this is I can go back and wa- I still do. Like I said, I watch I watched that 11 AFC divisional game between the Jets and the Pats. I go back and I watch it because I, I, I like to go back to that time. I'll still watch highlights from that season. I have wiped 07 from my memory <laughs> other than literally that last game. I do not watch highlights from 07. It never shows up in my feed. It's just like it, you can't go back to that place. And that's why I think it has to move on. The 07 Mets collapse reign of terror just continues to brutalize you. It's a great way to put it. It really is. Well, okay. We'll do this again next week. We are, we are coming to the end. It is the finals of your bracket and the finals of my bracket. And then it's, yep. it's 1v1. Well, well, we'll take a break right here to try and recover. We'll be right back with some more Chatter Up. So another week in sports has gone by, which means we have another this week in sports history. What did uh, what'd you find for us this week? So this week, again, this is, you know, kind of look back and see what significant events happen in sports history during this time. 
This one, the one that I came up with was May 26, 1987, the famous Larry Bird steal against mm-hmm. the Pistons, Game 5 of the Eastern Conference Finals. So just to give a little quick synopsis of what happened here, it's Game 5, so it's a 2-2 series. This game's in Boston. Detroit is up by one with a two or three seconds to go. If they win the game, obviously they go up 3-2, going back to Detroit with a chance to clinch and go to the finals, which they had not done yet. Larry Bird steals the, an inbounds pass from Isaiah Thomas, pass Dennis Johnson, lays it in. Celtics end up winning the game 108-107. The reason that I wanted to talk about this one is that it got me thinking about, because of how you know painful that loss probably was for Pistons fans, how much of a shock it was, what comes to your mind, Bobby, when I say worst losses, most heartbreaking losses in sports history? There are so many, I think, immediately, just because we were just talking about it. The Raouli Banyas game is like just heartbreaking for me personally. Right. But there are so many that were just brutal. I remember when I was a kid, the Indians were playing the Mariners and it was 14 to two. And my dad was like, hey, just keep watching. And I was like, no, that's that's ridiculous. Why would I watch this game? He's like, just watch. I don't know if he knew or what, maybe it was pre-recorded, <laughs> but they wound up they wound up coming back with three in the seventh, four in the eighth, and five in the ninth. They wound up winning 15 to 14 that game, which was a crazy game to watch. But I guess that can't even be on this list because that's that's a regular season game. Correct. I, that's what I was gonna say. So one of the ones that came to my mind was 2011 in the World Series with the Texas Rangers. The Rangers had the World Series won. They were down to, I think, their final strike, right? I believe so, yeah. And David Freeze just takes that game from them with a triple to tie it and then the home run to win it. And it was just, if, if, I'm, a, if I'm a Rangers fan, that game is forever ingrained in my head as we had the World Series one, one strike away from winning the World Series. And not only do you lose that game, you lose the World Series. It's over. Like, it's, it is mind-boggling to me. That's the one that really sticks out to me. And, you know, two things about that game. One is I heard a crazy story recently. Like, I heard Andy Chavez interviewed. You remember Andy Chavez from that famous catch with the Mets? Of course. So if you remember that play, that triple, it's a play that – it's a lot of controversy because there's a, there's a very good argument that Nelson Cruz should have caught that ball. And Andy Chavez was on that team as the fourth outfielder. And I heard him say in the interview that he – so he had been – he had pinch hit in the inning before. And he was go, he was literally on the field going out to right field and Ron Washington called him back and <laughs> sent Cruz out into right field. So I have very little doubt that if Andy Chavez is in right field, that that ball is caught in the Rangers in the world series, which I'm sure kills Rangers fans. Second part of it is they had that game won twice. You're right. Because they were up to in that ninth inning when freeze hits the triple to tie the game. Josh Hamilton hits a two run Homer. I can't remember if it was the next inning or the 11th inning. Mm-hmm. So they're up again by two runs. So even, you know, all right, we blew it last time, but like we have another chance to win it. If they win it, then nobody remembers the David Freeze triple and they blew it again. So twice in the same game. That is, you, you can't script a worse ending for a team. Right. And to lose, it's not even the ALCS or division series or, or as, as easy as a regular season game. You're talking about the biggest, this is the biggest game. This is it. You win the championship. Yeah. The and that's price. taken away from you. I don't know. What about you? What's what's like the one that comes to mind for you? So there was a few that that originally like these were the first I thought of. But the one I think I have to nominate is the Minneapolis Miracle. So Mm. that is the NFC. I think it was a divisional game a couple of years ago. 
Saints Vikings. And the reason that that to like resonated for me is, you know, you have the term walk off, a walk off home run, a walk off whatever in baseball, and you see it a lot. I mean, even in the playoffs, like the you know walk, the beauty of a walk off, it is it is the final play of the game. Mm-hmm. You in in football, of course, you have a lot of you know fourth quarter drives, last minutes of the game, last even into the last minute. You almost never see a true walk off in football, right? Like. Even if the te- other team is just gets the ball back with like three seconds, a chance to run that stupid play where there's like a hundred laterals, whatever. But this was like one of the only times I can remember seeing a true walk off, and 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 it just the, obviously the stakes of the game. It was just, you know, Saints are ahead. Case Keenum is the quarterback at the time for uh, Minnesota. Just throws this like it wasn't even a hail mary, right? It was like a thirty yard pass down the sidelines to Stephon Diggs the two states defenders like run one guy takes the other guy out. And I remember seeing Diggs like running down the field and you're like, wait, is this like, is there not anyone else there? Is he actually going to go all the way? And the Vikings win the game and move on to the next round. Now, maybe you could, you know, I guess the Rangers probably take the cake in that one, your example, because the Vikings didn't end up winning the Super Bowl. But to see a true walk off in that fashion where the two defenders run into each other and that's how, the Saints season ends. That was one to me that, I mean, if I was a Saints fan, it would be very difficult to get over. And you'd have to think that, I mean, that there, was, there was a part of me when I was watching it where I was like, somebody threw this game. There had to have been a penalty <laughs> on that play that the refs didn't throw, or the Saints were like, okay, here's how we're going to do it. But even that, you, you, you rewatch the play and you're right. There's two defenders there. One of them goes low and just totally misses him. And you're, and you're thinking, how is this possible? And I think it's worse than, I, you know, you talk about walk-off plays. I think of the Tebow walk-off when he won in overtime. Right, right. That play, the game was tied, and they win it on that play. It was in, I think it was an 80-yard pass. It was like a slant route, and he just goes to the end zone. But at least the game was tied. I mean, this, this was it. They had it. You stop him here on this crazy play, and it's over. And just, it was unbelievable. You, you're right. I was watching. Like, is there another player? Like, there has to be somebody else. You're watching him. And I'm thinking, wow, this is crazy. Now, special place in my heart, Stephon Diggs, former yeah. University of Maryland Terrapin. And I was like, oh, my guy did it. But you, part of me just thinks that game had to have been fixed at the end. But maybe, maybe that's just the cynic in me in the Tim Donahue era. <laughs> what else you got? Any other, uh, any other nominations here? I, th- I think the other one that was really sticking out to me was the 2013 Heat Spurs series, mm-hmm. where Game Six, the Ray Allen shot. You remember this? Yeah, I mean, how could you forget it? I remember watching it and hating the Heat so much. Yep, I hated the three, and it, it wasn't that I hated LeBron and Dwayne and Bosch. It was the conglomerate of the three of them together and the not one, not two, not three, not 462, like, shut up. (laughs) You know, like, enough. And they were going to lose again. And I was like, this is it. And also, how can you not root for the Spurs? Popovich, Parker, Ginobili, Duncan. This is, how do you not root for that? And they shoot, and I think it was, was it LeBron that shot it? I can't remember who shot it. I think it was LeBron, yeah. And he missed. And I'm like, that's it. The Spurs won it. And this was also after the fans had left. Yep, yep. 
And then they kick it out, and Ray Allen, he's in front of the three-point line. He's going to shoot it, and then he takes one step back. And he didn't even look down. He just knew. And he shot it, and he made it, and that was, oh, that was so brutal. Yep, yep. That, and I thought of that one as well. The reason, I guess, that I would put it below the other two only because if you take history into account in this, the Spurs did get back next year and win. Now, if we're just talking about in the moment, that's a killer. It's hard for me to separate, I guess, like the subsequent history. Mm-hmm. But you're right. I think like if you're if we're just talking about when that three goes in and then subsequently they lose game seven that year and they lose the finals that I mean, just it, it was such an improbable moment, you know, between you're, you're right. LeBron misses the three and, and some once the ball. But once the ball ends up in Ray Allen's hands, I think like every every Spurs fan and everyone rooting against it was like, uh, we all knew. Yeah. Yeah. The last one that I would throw out there and we weren't alive for this one. And I, I wish I was because it would, would have been a lot different. <laughs> My life would be different is game six, 1986. I mean, I have to, I have to. I mean, again, you think of the Red Sox history at the time, they hadn't won the world series since 1918. They'd been back in 75 and lost in seven games. They're up in the, in the, in the ninth inning here. Mm-hmm. Two outs, nobody on. I mean, the Mets, you know, it's a famous story that the Shea Stadium scoreboard flashed, like, congrats to the Red Sox, 1986 World Series champs. And you have single, 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 wild pitch, ball through Buckner's legs, and all of a sudden the game's over. I mean, that, if you're a Red Sox fan of that age before 2004, I don't think you go a day of your life without thinking about that. Yeah, I think that's true. And also, it, Brutally, I think more than any other game in history, took a player who really had a great career yep. and ruined it forever. Yeah. Buckner was a 300 hitter. And if you're hitting 300 in baseball, you're a great hitter. And he makes one mistake, one, and it ruins his career forever. I agree it has to be out there. I'm not surprised you brought that up because, of course, you would because you need some winning because of the bracket of shame. But I digress. You need to balance it out a little bit. I agree. I agree. So let's finish it up this week and let's get to a could it work. You have something for me this week? I do. So we talked about the match a little bit earlier, which, you know, as you remember, was the, the golf game last Sunday between, I think it was Peyton and, and, and Tiger Woods against Tom Brady and Phil Mickelson. We talked about how that got rave reviews. One of the, re- the reasons that we cited was the mic'd up aspect of it which I think goes together with just like the informality of it. Golf is thought of as a very stiff uppity game. You know, like I, I mean, I know you like to play golf. I don't think you watch golf. I, I don't, I don't watch golf ever. You know, you take notice of, I guess, like who wins the masters, but sure. you never really think about it much else. I know that, and they have a devoted fan base, but there's a lot of people that it's just like, it's, it's too slow. I guess it's just too rigid for them. Mm-hmm. I think the reason that, one of the reasons that people like the match is just that, it, like I said, the informality guys like talking smack to each other, um, you know, guy, they're not even dressed like, you know, they're not wearing, wearing shorts. Just like, these are things that like people that play golf or, or even if you've done mini golf, you'd be like, Oh yeah, cool. I've done that before. Like I've, I've talked smack with my friends doing anything. And I think it would get more people, into watching golf if they had more events like that, that weren't, weren't just like the rigid tournaments where everyone shows up with like no smiling and golf claps and you have to be quiet all the time. And that got me thinking about one of my favorite sports movies. And I'm sure one of yours, happy Gilmore. Great movie. 
everyone loves Happy Gilmore, right? The hockey player who goes on the PGA Tour with the the mammoth drives and becomes a fan favorite. Mm -hmm. And while it's an improbable story, I think there's a kernel of truth to it that we would like to see that kind of excitement, that kind of, you know, environment in golf. So the idea I have for you is what about a mini golf tournament. So we've all done mini golf, right? We've played mini golf. Everyone, I'm sure everyone that's listening to this has played mini golf. Sure. What about a mini golf tournament? 18, just like of the most ridiculous, difficult mini golf holes across the country played by professional golfers. Oh boy. Okay. So you have, with the you call it the Happy Gilmore Open. You bring in Sandler to do some pub for it. Maybe even plays in it as Happy Gilmore. And the 18th hole is the famous last hole from Happy Gilmore, you know, the water cooler coming down, the car crash, whatever, that whole thing. Mm-hmm. I think I would be interested in that. What say you? I say, I don't know, man. I mean, one of the, one of the aspects of watching professional sports that makes it so appealing is watching athletes do things that I can't do. I can't drive a ball 300 yards. I can't run a four, five, 40 yard dash. I can't throw a football 75 yards, but I can play mini golf. And so is there enough? I I, I wonder, you'd have to put some ridiculous personalities in there, like we were saying previously, in order to make this entertaining, you'd have to mic them up. And even so, would you watch 18 holes of mini golf of these guys? 18 holes, probably not. Maybe you cut it down to nine holes. I think that's a fair point. 18 is probably too much. I think I would definitely tune in. I don't know. I can't say I would stick with it the whole time, but I think if you had really crazy holes, and some of these courses across the country have that, right? Like just ridiculous, like 18th holes that just seem like they really are made for professionals. I think if you had that just like really fun looking weird holes, I think, and and you're right, putting like weird personalities in it. I want Happy Gilmore playing. I know putting's not his thing, but I think it makes it funny. I'm into it. And I think you could get people talking about it the same way they're talking about the match. Because like I said, it's just not the way we normally see golf. I think there's, there's merit to that. I guess my, my other pushback is, do I want to see guys putting? for two hours it is golf is already a difficult sport to watch at least for you and i and as you said they have a devoted audience but do i want to see guys putting for two hours even if the holes are are crazy you know i imagine if this happens the very first thing before every hole you'd have the announcer maybe carl ravich or whoever break down the course and say oh it's got this you know 45 degree slope coming down and then he's got if he makes it through that he's got to make it through the water cooler of doom and yep something ridiculous like that but is it entertaining enough i I guess the the entertaining aspect would have to be the mic'd up part right like the the course itself could be cool but you want to see something crazy happen like maybe somebody gets really upset maybe we've talked about tyson a lot recently so maybe Tyson gets on there and he puts and he misses completely and just snaps the golf club on his knee. You know, like maybe maybe that's what we're looking for here. Well, the mic'd up aspect, definitely. But I do think if you like you're saying you have the announcer kind of talk through the what the hole is before it starts. But it's like I wouldn't even, I wouldn't want to hear him say like, oh, there's the 45 degree angle. I want to hear like, all right. 
So he's got to putt it, get it through the clown's mouth, over the waterfall, <laughs> underneath the bunker, around through the swirly cones, and then like bank it off the back and in. And ha- you have like, you know, I, I wouldn't want him to be Tiger because I think he's a he seems to be like a pretty straight, boring guy. Mm-hmm. But you want to have like some funny color guy, whether it's like someone who's golfed with personality or some like an actor or a comedian or someone else being like, what's the best approach to take here? Like, do you, you know, you're in mini golf. You've got the three holes there at the beginning. Like, do I want to bank it on the side here? Do I go straight through the client's mouth? Do I try to go hit it, like chip it over? You know, I think that if you, a big part is you have to make these holes as, like as weird, as as entertaining, as weird to look at as possible. I agree. I think the one guy I'll throw in there that if he was announcing, I'd probably watch is Tony Romo. Oh, Tony Romo. I like it. I like it. I would, you know what? Tony, I think Tony Romo would play because he's a big golf guy. Absolutely. So if you could have him, like, he would, he would be the good, a good guy to have him, like, mic'd up. He loved, part of the reason I love watching him announce NFL games because he gets so excited about it, right? So, like, you, I'm sure he would be the same way with golf. Be like, oh, Jim, you put it under the clown's mouth. Like, I think that would be awesome. I think it would be great. One to ten. Uh, realistic and entertaining value. One to ten. Entertaining, I think I would give it a seven compared to what my entertainment level in a normal golf tournament would be. Realistic. I do think they're going to try to do things differently, seeing how well the match was received. Mm-hmm. This I'd probably put at a two. They probably have more ideas. I, I, I think there are probably a lot of golfers that would be like, hell no, I'm not subjecting myself to this. And I think they probably have more ideas about how to do it in a way that they would, you know, maybe presents the PGA better. I don't know. I think realistically, I would give it a little bit higher than a two. I think it's not that hard to put together and even just to get some wild personalities on there. I might give it like a four or five. I think entertainment wise, before I heard your defense of this, I was going to give it about a one or a two just because like I couldn't really get behind it. I think based on what we're talking about and the evidence you provide, I'd, I'd go as high as a five or a six. I think I'll take it. That's a win for me. That's a win under the right set of circumstances. I, I could watch it. It's also just something different on television that you wouldn't normally see. So I, I'd give it a five or a six, especially during quarantine. If they can get this going in the next month, it's going to be big. I'm telling you. Yeah, I'd absolutely watch. So that's all the time we have for this week. Next week, we got another pack schedule. We'll have another What Did I Miss segment. We'll finish out this second round of our bracket of shame. My one seed, the Orioles' consecutive losing seasons, going against my six seed, the Raul Ibanez game, and Jared's one seed, the 2015 World Series, going against his three seed, the 07 Mets collapse. We'll also get into a This Week in Sports History, as well as another Could It Work. And if you have any ideas for the Chatter Chamber or anything at all that you want to send to us, you can send us an email at chatteruppodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at chatter underscore up. And we're now on Instagram as well with the same handle, chatter underscore up. You can see some behind the scenes photos of what goes into making the podcast. We'll see you all next week with the next Chatter Up.